Hi, friends. You are listening to episode 65 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us again for this series called You Never Stand Alone. We're going through the book of Daniel, and we're taking a big pivot today. We're going into the books of prophecy. Now, the first six chapters of Daniel is kind of a narrative, letting you know the background, some of the things that happened in Daniel's life, where he was when he was having these visions. But today, we pick up with chapter 7, which starts the last six chapters of Daniel, which are all about prophecy. And today, you're going to meet four very crazy critters, but you don't want to be distracted by them because the real message is hidden within it. And I can't wait for you to hear what the Bible really says in chapter 7 that you need to pay attention to and not be distracted by. It's going to be a great conversation. But before we get there, we are back meeting together. I'm so excited about it. If you are in the Southern California area, I'd love to have you join us. Make sure on our website that you reserve your seats. We will reserve you VIP seats to come and join us for this conversation. So make sure, make sure and go to our website, thebiblelab.com, and reserve your seats there on the contact page because we would love to meet you face-to-face and go on this journey with you. Until then, we are going to have an incredible conversation, so I don't want to take too much time here. Just enough time to say welcome to the Bible Lab. All right, here we go. Number one, if one of the people sitting near me said that they had a vision, I would struggle to believe that it was from God. Yes, no, or maybe. Uh, okay, yes, it's a very, I expect this from the Bible app, a very skeptical crowd. I'm seeing about 80% yes. I saw about, oh, a good split between the no's and maybe, so about 10% no, and well, now a few more maybes, maybe a few more maybes, which means yes, they just don't want to offend you because they don't believe you had a vision. They may ask what you had for dinner or if you've stopped taking your meds but they, they might not believe it's from God. Why do you think that's so? And that's the question that we have to ask in our minds, because if, like in Joel chapter 2, it says in God's last days that there's going to be dreams and visions. So if we're at a place today where we're saying it's the last days, but we don't believe in visions, uh, I, think, I think it says more about our view of humanity than it says about our view of God, because we see humanity doesn't seem to be getting more sane right? Humanity seems to be getting a, a little bit more crazy every day, and, um, and the, the, the politicians today prove that very well <laughs> from all parties. Don't get offended. Number two, I like scary movies better than feel-good movies. I like scary movies better than feel-good movies. Oh, look at this wussy crowd. Uh, <laughs> Is there anyone? Okay, there's one, there's two, there's three, four people, scary movie. And I know what the maybe is, Kyle, because I'm the same way. Is it really bloody and gory? No, I don't like that scary movie. Yeah, so most of you would prefer a feel-good movie. You don't want to pay good money to be scared. If you want to be scared, you just open your bank account and take a look at the balance. 
yeah. So most of you want to feel, you don't want to be scared, okay? There's enough scary stuff in your life, you don't want to be scared. Okay, that's good, because we're going to have a great conversation about that today, because Daniel gets scared. And we're going to talk about what scares us and what gives us peace, because at the same time that the Spirit was trying to speak peace, Daniel was watching the vision as a scary movie, and the Spirit keeps trying to say, no, let me tell you what I'm trying to tell you, but Daniel, like us, sees one perspective, and God wants to give us another. And that's what Daniel chapter 7 is all about, is God trying to give us a perspective, but we keep losing it. We lose the perspective, we keep seeing the scary stuff, and God keeps coming back and saying, but let me, let me tell you the feel-good stuff. And so we're going to take a look at that today. Number three, God tends to communicate in different ways with me more often during times of transition in my life. So God tends to communicate different ways with me more often during times of transition in my life. Wow, okay. So I'm saying about 90% yes, 5% no, and, uh, no, about 3% no, and I'm not a math major, so I think it's 8% or 7 or whatever. Let's just move on. Maybe. <laughs> but the majority of you are saying yes during these transitional moments in your life. It's, it's when you had to move to a different location. It's when you started a new job. Maybe when you started a new relationship or you had to end a relationship. These are the times that you felt God really moved into your life and had a message for you. It's not during the times of the average, typical, everyday life. We're going to talk about that too because Daniel experienced this vision at a time of transition. He didn't experience this vision during a time that he's in the midst of the 39 years that he's working for the previous regime. This comes at a time of transition, and we're going to dig into that. Number four, God wants us to have prophecy so that we will know when he is coming. God wants us to have prophecy so that we will know when he's coming. Look at this crowd. You've been at the Bible Lab long enough to know. This is a trick question. So most of you are saying no. I'm seeing about 85% no uh, and then the rest, it's almost a, a perfect split between yes and maybe. And in, in many ways, I'm just going to give you a little heads up. Those of you uh, in the majority here are correct. Because prophecy is never meant to be used as a crystal ball to predict the future. Now let me ask you, how is prophecy typically used today? as a crystal ball to predict the future because we're showing how soon Jesus is going to come. We're going to plot it out on a chart. We're going to show you the timeline and show you how this happened, this happened. Now, look, the only thing next to happen is this. And so we typically use prophecy as a crystal ball. We have to stop doing that because that's never how prophecy was intended to be used. It's meant to be used as a rearview mirror, not as a crystal ball. And we'll explain more as we get into it. And number five, here we go. God gave Daniel visions so that we in the future could read them and know how soon he is coming. I'm just testing you to see. It's the same question as number four, just seeing if some of you would change your answer. Shows how much you listen to me. <sighs> just when I feel influential. It's the same answer as before. Because quite frankly, we have to ask the question, anytime you're reading through scripture, you have to read it through trifocals trifocals, three different lenses. What did it mean to the person who received it? What did it mean in the next lens to the people that heard or read 
this written vision. And lastly, that bottom trifocal is, so what is transferable to us today? Understanding that two of the three lenses that you read this through have nothing to do with you. How depressing is that? It has nothing to do with us. But prophecy has something to tell us that's timeless today, and that's what we're going to dig into. And so if you will, open up your Bibles, or if you're biblically impaired, look up at the screen, because I have it right here on the screen for you. We're going to take a look at Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to dig into what it is. We're going to really quickly go through verses 2 through 14. Uh, excuse me. I'm going to back up one verse that I did not have. Oh, it's on the, on the paper. No wonder. Hi, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Daniel 7, verse 1 says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Now, I, I love how he writes this. He wrote down the substance, which means when we get to heaven, and you're on, you know, oh, you're Daniel. Okay, awesome. I have a question. You wrote the substance, but tell me the details. Because there's some details you left out. And ones that we really want to know. Why? Because we still think we can use prophecy today to predict the future. But he just writes down the substance. But that's okay, because we have in the book of Hebrews, in faith chapter, faith is the substance of things unseen. So we don't have to see everything to still have faith here. So he writes down the substance. So we're going to look at the substance. And I love the fact that he wrote the substance because if he would have gone into too much detail, we would have lost the substance of this vision. We have lost what this vision's really about. And so he writes down, he has this crazy dream. These visions pass through his mind. And we're going to read them in just a moment. But he writes at least one granular detail in verse 1. And that detail is when this vision came. If you look here at the very beginning, it says, in the first year of Belshazzar. Where have we heard of Belshazzar so far? Yeah, it's only one chapter, right? Chapter 5, which means, oh, okay, we were going chronologically for a while. We went from Daniel chapter 1 all the way through 6, took us from when Daniel and the three Hebrews made it all the way to Babylon. And then we go through all these different stories until we finally get to chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. And who was the king at that time? Darius. Yes. And who was before Darius? I'll give you a hint. In the first year of Belshazzar. Yes, and before him, there's actually a couple of other rulers between him and Nebuchadnezzar, who you read about in the first couple of chapters. So Belshazzar, wow, we're going back. So from chapter 7 through chapter 12 of Daniel, it's grouped together because these are all the visions of Daniel. But the reason why it's not in chronology here is because Daniel grouped it together as separate. He first tells you the story, tells you the timeline, and then you read about the visions that he had. And so he's going back in time and letting you know that this actually happened earlier. This happened during Belshazzar, and Belshazzar is the one in chapter 5 with his handwriting on the wall. Okay, 
So he lets you know that we've gone back. And then chapter 7 begins a series of visions that Daniel has, this communication between God and mankind. And then we get to verse 2 through 14. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being. And the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one, one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. Now, I'm just going to take a pause here because all the other things before were frightening, terrible, and (laughs) kind of freaky. So whatever this is, up until this moment, he's been able to say it looked like. And because he had never seen Godzilla, he has no idea what to call this thing. But he says it's just terrifying. Now, he describes it. He said it had uh, large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human, uh, of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. By the way, that's the biggest number they had a word for. Ten thousand. So 10,000 times 10,000. That's infinity for him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Verse 11, Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into a blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a man, one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. destroyed. So, as we take a look at this vision and dream, now many of you who have peeked ahead and you look 
at the study guide or read chapter 7 this week, you know there's going to be an interpretation of this, of what he saw. But we have to pause right here because God showed him everything. There's nothing new that shared the rest of the chapter other than helping Daniel understand some things. But what you've seen so far is these four crazy critters coming out of water and walking past almost like a fashion show past Daniel in this vision. But then there's another scene. It doesn't end with these four creatures. There's another scene. Who comes on that scene? In the story, the Ancient of Days and one who looks like a son of man. So we're going to unpack that really quick. So first of all, without a break, as soon as the fourth and last beast is described, the scene takes a major shift. We see a completely new scene with a whole new cast of characters, and none of them look beastly. They all look, in some way, humanoid. So in verses 9 to 10, take a look back at that. What are these new objects that Daniel sees? What are the visual descriptors that he uses for the objects and the characters? So what do we see? Comment cards, raise them up. We're going to get a microphone to you. What did you see in this section? Something new. Because everyone typically thinks this vision is about the beast. This vision is not about the beast. It shares about the beast. But there's only one important thing about the beast. And we know it's the important thing because it's repeated twice. Because God really wants his people to get it. But what do we see? What do we see? Just shout it out. What's the first thing that you see? Everything shifts. Something's put into place. Thrones are put into place. What's unique about this throne? Something that kind of made you say, what? It's got wheels. A throne with wheels. How cool is that? Why do you think the throne has wheels? <laughs> Somebody say it's a Mercedes? <laughs> oh, it'd have to be a BMW because it's the ultimate driving experience. So, sorry. <laughs> wheels. This reminds us. Now, Pastor Randy is speaking through the the book of Ezekiel for this new sermon series over in the sanctuary. If you haven't heard it, you got to make sure and connect because they're contemporaries. But there's something similar here. We got these wheels, which tells us, because God doesn't waste any bit of Im imagery, there's something about the wheels. What do you think the wheels represent? Time. Movement, the dynamic nature of God, speed, transition, velocity, power. I love that one, Raul. You're all correct because no one knows the correct answer. <laughs> but let me tell you what, what I see here. Okay, other people came and placed the throne. The throne was placed, passive tense, right? So it didn't say the Ancient of Days walked out and set his throne down and sat down, right? No, other people did it. But God's very intentional about imagery. We've seen this over four and a half years now of walking through how God builds imagery. 
in the time of Daniel, a throne with wheels for any king represented the fact that the king's desire is to be with the men on the front lines. And so they actually had thrones constructed with wheels so that the king could be where the people are. Instead of a throne that's set in the palace, apart from the people where the people could never go, the king would have constructed a throne with wheels so that he would be a king of the people. And I think very much this imagery is important for us to see this because of what God's trying to say through chapter 7. That God is not a God in heaven with arms crossed saying, I'm letting these beasts do what they're going to do, but one day I'll come from my throne in heaven and come rescue you and take you back up to my throne in heaven. I think it's very important for us to see the character of God based on the imagery that says, I will take what you know, because Daniel knew this. He was working in, in several king's courts. He knew if a king ever took a throne, put wheels on it, he knew that was a king of the people who said, I will be where the battle is. And so the first thing that we see in this new scene after the beast is God saying, I will be where the people are. And the reason why there's wheels is because the throne was set here now, but as things happen, I want you to know I'm ready to move. And I'm going to be where you are, regardless of how the scene changes and the battle changes and wherever the battlefront is, I have the ability to always move and be with you. It's huge. And we just read right past it. Oh, wow, it has wheels. That's cool. But God's trying to say, look, there's all these things happening, all these battles, all these changes in leadership, everything that's going on, a lot of turmoil, frightening and terrifying things. Don't worry, because my throne will be right on the front lines where my soldiers are. So then we have this ancient of days. Did you ever wonder about this guy? You just assume, just immediately, oh, of course it's God. And this one that looks like a son of man, oh, of course, that would have to be Jesus. We just assume. But we don't stop and say, how is he representing himself to mankind? And why do they call him that? Do you ever have questions like that? What are some of the things that you see in the story? Everyone's shy today. By now we've had five comments. Been around a long time. Now, what was their view of God? Timeless, windy, start? Where did he come from? They still had not fully developed a theology of God and time. And so they call them the ancient of days. Over here, red microphone. You know, I've read this so many times before, but I think it's so exciting and beautiful. I love learning something new. This just shows how much God loves all of us. Yes. I love it. Absolutely. Thank you, Linda. The description of God here, what color is his hair? White. Anybody have white hair here? Okay. This, this is a compliment. I always say I'd rather it turn, I'd rather, I, I, I always say I'd rather it turn gray than turn loose. Um, <laughs> so they see this ancient of days, white hair. This symbolizes wisdom. 
to the people of, of Babylon in that day. White hair represents wisdom. And the wisdom comes, can I hear an amen from the seniors in the crowd? Wisdom comes from experience. Amen. amen. <laughs> Good. Years of experience, decades of experience. You have wisdom because you've been there. That's not your first rodeo. You know what's going on. And so the white hair represents this wisdom. Even the name ancient of days represents wisdom because he's been around longer than you can put an exact date. Then it describes uh, the rest of him. What's some of the other descriptors you see there in the description of the ancient of days? What's he look like? Say it louder. Pure white clothes. Now, the clothes being pure white did not represent someone that doesn't get his hands dirty and doesn't go work. Um, what it represented in those days is a pure white robe was a representation of your character and your intentions. Pure character, pure intentions. And so they saw him not only as wise, but someone who really had great intentions. I've got a question card over here. We'll get the green microphone to you here. Just making sure I'm not missing another one. Yes. Hang on one second. Go ahead. You say in verse 9 that the ancient of days is Jesus. No. No. Uh, in this picture, most commentators view ancient of days as who we would call God the Father. That's right. And then they look at the one who looked like a son of man. And we're going to talk about that in a yes. moment. They look at him as most likely the Jesus figure. Okay. And we'll, we'll discuss that in a second. Okay. Thank you for clarification, because if, uh, if anyone else was confused, you just really helped us today. So he's got this river of fire coming from his throne. Now we see fire as destruction. Um, they saw it once again as a symbol of purification because fire was seen as a purifier. You get rid of, uh, you get rid of trash. That's how they dealt with their dump at Gehenna, just south of Jerusalem. It's how they would make things sanitary, is in the fire. Um, and so fire was seen as something that would purify and get rid of the impure around. It's how they would work with metals and, uh, and get the impurities out of the metals is by using fire. That's why all through scripture, there's typically this term refiner's fire is because it's getting rid of the impurities and making sure that it's pure. So it wasn't seen as, you know, uh, he's coming in to destroy. It was seen as he's coming to purify right here. Raul, purple mic. Most people, when they read the book of Daniel, uh, it's my, you know, my understanding that they look for um, well, understanding of when and what will happen yes. in the future. Yeah. I tend to read it differently, and that's what I said in my... I said that it, the wheels represent power. Yeah. I think that the whole book of Daniel um, re, um, is telling us things that are even more important than the, the timing, which is who is in power, who yeah. has control. Yes. So all the imagery that uh, is in the book, the thrones, the fires, the beasts, represent power. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
these these um, visions um, show the different empires as um, you know obnoxious, um, horrendous beasts. Yeah. Interestingly, archaeology shows that those empires, those uh, you know Egypt, Assyria, Aram, Babylonian, saw the people of Israel as beasts as well. Yes. So it was mutual. Yep. Um, although that is not in the Bible, it is in the archaeological records. Those other peoples and empires, civilizations, saw the people of God as beasts, beasts to be eliminated. Yes. And that's why they, they made incursions and they uh, war against the, the Israelites, because yeah. they wanted to destroy those, the, the beast. Yes. Now, um, for me, it's more comforting to, be, to, to read the book of Bible as a book in which God is says, you see all those beasts around, they will be with you throughout history, the whole history. Yeah. But look at this, I'm in control. Yes. And uh, he uses this imaginary um, as the, the thrones, the wheels, the, uh, the fire, the, and he eventually destroys the beasts. And yeah. for me, it's a lot more powerful to realize that the central message, at least for me, is God is in control that's the of history. Yes, and that's the exact message of seven. We're going to get to you. Red mic. Yeah, Terry. Um, just a question about time. And, and my understanding, and it could be incorrect because I don't want to project onto the ancients <laughs> what I see in the present, but uh, the ancient mind saw time more cyclical than linear. Is that correct? And that might affect uh, not only Daniel's perspective, but the whole idea of having to have certain, always having certain things happen and nothing else could happen, that you might actually see, uh, you see a cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Un unpack that a little bit more because you've, you've got some really good stuff there. That, with the microphone. Un un unpack that, because I, I love where you're going. Oh, man. <laughs> it's a good question, and, and just... And just well, I, I'm thinking of Revelation actually more, but also Daniel is very troubled, and I think it has to do with his... He, he's, he's got a misconception, or maybe not even a misconception, but he has a certain idea of how things are supposed to be, yeah. and God is showing him something completely different. I don't know if Daniel is afraid of a beast. I don't know if he's really scared of the beast. It seems to me like there's something else that he's really frightened about. Yeah, and I'd, I, would, I would agree. I wouldn't say he's frightened as much as he is really distracted. And we're gonna see in the second half of Daniel chapter seven, his distraction is keeping him from the message. And I think that's an important thing for us today because we get so distracted by the kingdom issues today that even as believers in God who believe in the second coming, who believe that Jesus Christ died and changed everything of our future, we still get so distracted today by the foolishness of the kingdoms around us, our own and others. And we get so distracted that we spend most of our time asking questions and making comments on social media, in our conversations with our friends and our family, 
because we don't understand the message of Daniel chapter 7. The message of Daniel chapter 7 is that, like Raoul said, there is a kingdom in power. And that kingdom, it showed the imagery, what happened to the most terrifying beast. It was slain. And immediately there's this new scene. There's now there's who's in power. It's the God with the throne who comes to us. And in the midst of that, the rest of Daniel 7, you're going to see Daniel keeps coming back to the distraction. But tell me more about this last beast. And you know why he wants to know about the last beast? Because if you saw in succession the kingdoms that would take place between now and Jesus coming again, you'd want to know, so what's that last sign? What's the last event? When we really, as a people, prioritized the timelines in our prophecy presentations, especially in the 80s and earlier, we always prioritized when you see this, the next thing to happen is the close of probation. I've had parents upset at me when I've taught their children in, in high school Bible class. I had a lady call me up so upset because I wasn't teaching the National Sunday Law. I had to come just before Jesus came because she had learned 15 years earlier that that was the sign that the close of probation was next. And after the close of probation, now we have the small time of trouble and then the big time of trouble. And she went through this whole thing. I said, that's really cute. It's really sweet. It's just not part of our doctrine. Because you can read our now 28 fundamental beliefs. You can't find the National Sunday Law anywhere in our beliefs. And yet there are still people today that are waiting for certain signs to take place before they believe Jesus is coming again. We're so distracted by what comes first. We're distracted by who comes to save. And the reality is Daniel is so distracted. You can see in the rest of this chapter, so distracted because he wants to know what's the sign to let me know. The next thing is I don't have to worry about this anymore because Jesus is coming to save us all and God will take us home. And that's his challenge for the rest of the chapter. And you'll see God's response. But I want to get to the green microphone first. Yes, Sharon. I don't know what color this is. I'm just <laughs> going to just mention that I never noticed before that the waters are churning. Yes. And it takes me to, is it in James that it says the wicked are like the tossing sea, they have no rest? Yes. And that speaks to the, the, the lack of permanency of this, these kingdoms. But I, I also wanted to say I, I'm very troubled by the fact that some of my friends who would like to know what time it is um, think that a particular church is going to bring this on. And I think we need to remember that Satan wants to destroy God's reputation. And he's going to use whatever power comes up through the years to do that. So that if, we, if we settle on a, a target, we may be completely off. You're, you're absolutely correct. And it's interesting to see with all of the work that Jesus did in his ministry, he never set up a denomination. He never even set up a new religion because he was Jewish and he was the Jewish Messiah. It's humanity that is trying to parse things and say, I'm right, you're wrong. I have truth, you have error. You know, we're believers, you're pagans. 
uh, it's humanity that tries to find the differences. God says he wants us to go into all the world. And one of his final instructions to his disciples is, my greatest desire is that you would be one, as my father and I are one. I want to go back to the water comment that you made, because this is very important, because I've heard uh, different theologians and different evangelists talk about these waters being, being churned, and the waters represent uh, humanity or the earth, and these beasts are coming up out of humanity, out of the earth, which is correct. But what I've never heard anyone talk about is who's churning the waters. It's not humanity that's stirring up the water. It's not humanity that's making the waters in such a condition that these beasts come forth. Scripture says that it's God's angels, his spirit, from the four corners, which means all of it. It's God's spirit who is in charge of how this water is churned. So even though <laughs> for us today, we look at it, oh, you know, what's happening with our political leadership and what's happening in the world? And we get all stirred up, forgetting the fact that what Raoul said is true, that the one in power is God. And it does, it, don't be worried about the kingdoms that come and the politics that happen because God doesn't need you distracted. He needs you excited because it's God who stirs the water. And he knows what he's doing. Don't doubt him. Don't say, God, that was a dumb thing for you to stir the water in a way that would bring this person to power. Because God's goal is not that you're happy. God's goal is that you're attentive, that you're loving, and that you're connected to him. And I'll tell you, the worst thing that can happen to you spiritually is having the conditions of your environment be comfortable. God needs you uncomfortable because when you're comfortable, you get lazy and you get disconnected. He needs you uncomfortable. So sometimes he stirs the water. And sometimes, believe it or not, he allows kings to come into power because he needs you uncomfortable. So instead of griping about it on social media and getting all worked up over it, get excited. Thank you, God, for making me uncomfortable. Because I'm not looking at this as trial. I'm looking at this as progression in God's coming kingdom. That's where we're at. So what does it mean for the people of God? It means we have to stay focused on what God keeps coming back to. And I want you to see what comes next. Because in verses 15 through 18, Daniel has a problem. Although he's seen the greatest picture of the entire vision, which is the ancient of days. And this one that looks like a human, but he can't even say it's the son of man. He says it one that looks like a son of man. Looks like a human is what he's trying to say, but there's still something off. He doesn't say, and then I saw a man. He says one that looks, and this was their way of saying, like a human, but it's not exact. Because in many ways, and we know, because prophecy is a rearview mirror, right? We know that this one that looks like a son of man was not just a man. We know he was 100% human, but we also know he was 100% divine. So he looks like a man, but you can tell he's not a man. This is, this is a man of God. This is a man from God. This is, this is the Messiah. 
So although he sees this picture, here's his response. Remember, last thing he sees, all the beasts were slain. His response, I, Daniel, verse 15, chapter 7, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. Verse 17, the four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. You see what this citizen of the kingdom of God is doing? He just comes up to one of them. This is one of the countless 10,000 times 10,000 of God's kingdom surrounding the throne. He just goes up to one of them. And so he's like, yeah, I'm really disturbed. What was that beast? That beast that was just slain. He said, oh yeah, well, the, the beast of the kings of, but, <laughs> you see verse 18, but the holy people of the most high will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Just like what you were saying, Terry, this whole cyclical thing, it seemed like we're going to be in this cycle forever and ever. There's always going to be a kingdom and a, a rising power, a greater, more stronger kingdom that comes and takes over. This citizen of the kingdom of God tells Daniel that's coming to an end. There's a day when that won't keep happening. The cycles of, of trouble and persecution and poverty and death and everything, gone. Best news of all. Can you see even every citizen of the kingdom of God gets it? Because their perspective is different. Because they don't live here. They live in the kingdom of God. And I think that's why Christ, in many ways, tried to help his disciples understand kingdom now. Live, understand. It's why, what did Jesus talk about in almost all of his parables? The kingdom of heaven is like. Because we have to have kingdom perspective to understand what's happening on the earth right now. I want to go to the green microphone, and then I've got another comment over here as well. So green microphone, yes. So when you look at the book of Daniel, it seems to all be about worship. It's who we worship. Yes. It's, it's about who is worthy of our worship. Yeah. And when you look at that, you see many times the character of God coming out. Yeah. Especially what we were just talking about this morning here. Yeah. Um, and to me, God is powerful. He's the creator all those things, but the reason I love him and want to worship him is because of his character, because of who he is yes. and how he loves us and what he's done for us. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the key. That was beautiful because that is the ultimate key to every relationship. Jesus told us while he was here on earth. He said, many will say, Lord, Lord, I did all these things. I fed the homeless. I gave to the needy. I visited people in prison. And his response is, do I, do I know you? Relationship is the key to everything. It, it doesn't matter if we go to church on a right day. It doesn't matter if our understanding of what happens after you die is more precise than an, another denomination. It doesn't matter if we eat the right things, don't eat the wrong things, wear the right things, don't wear the wrong things, do all the right things, and don't do any wrong things. If you don't have a relationship, a loving relationship with a God who loves you, even before you love him, while you're sinners, he died for you. 
you just don't get it. And that's exactly why when God moves in, specifically here with Daniel, when he moves in, he's trying to help Daniel understand it's all about, I want to have a relationship with you. I'm giving visions and I'm showing up as handwriting on a wall to people who don't believe in me, who don't care about me, who pray to other gods. Why? Because I want to have a relationship with you. Why? Because I love you. So you're precisely right. Over here, uh, green microphone again, it looks like. Yeah. And then I have another one over here. Yeah, go ahead. On that same point, Nicodemus tried to lead Jesus into a conversation, as we know, during the night because him being a Pharisee, he did not want to be embarrassed that he was going to talk to Jesus that night. Yeah. So through all of the things that were going on during that time, Jesus showed Nicodemus, would always come back, you must be born again. Nicodemus didn't understand that. No. How can I enter my mom the second time? <laughs> and today as we're discussing these things about Daniel, very good, very good stuff. But the bottom line is, how do we see Jesus in that picture? Yes. And have we truly asked Jesus into our lives? Yes. Because believing any of these things does not save us, and that's the bottom line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Had a comment over here. Yes. Right. Um, I have a comment, and then I have a question. Go for so it. So my, my comment regarding um, prophecy usually generally is a rearview mirror, as yeah. you said. Right. Well. I guess I wish to say that the generation arrives when prophecy is fulfilled within their own eyesight. It does happen with the flood. They were drowned. Prophecy was fulfilled within their own eyesight. Yeah. John the Baptist, there's prophecies about the John Baptist. They stood around. Prophecy was fulfilled with their own eyesight. Jesus, yeah. there's several prophecies about Jesus. He was on earth for 33 years. Yeah. Prophecy was fulfilled for that generation within their own eyesight. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Okay, and then my question is, are you doing Daniel 11, 40 to 45 in the Bible lab? Unfortunately, we're doing every single verse of Daniel. Oh, so, there, so when you come to Daniel 11, 40 to 45, you're going to see prophecy fulfilled with your own eyesight. Mm -hmm. I don't yes. know if you've been to the Daniel11prophecy.com website, all those no. papers. No. Oh, wow. Great. Thank you, David. I, I, I appreciate what you said because it shows us, uh, once again, the, the clarification of, of what we need to have. When people try to use prophecy as a crystal ball, what tends to happen is people asking the question, when do I need to get serious about my salvation? And whenever you do that, it's kind of like when your folks left and left you in charge at the house and they told you when they would be back. But you also know they always text you, letting you know they're on their way or checking in. If you're always waiting for the text, you may be caught <laughs> unprepared. Jesus, in fact, spends time talking about that and even inspired Paul to write about how it'll come like a thief in the night. And so if we're always looking at these prophecies to say, when is it that I need to get serious? 
we have an issue. Now, my conversation with this woman I mentioned earlier who was very upset that I was saying, you know, that National Sunday Law is not something we need to wait for to, to watch. My conversation continued with her. I said, look, I really care a lot about your son and his relationship with God because I don't know how long your son's going to live. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but he can get in a car accident. He can get a disease. He can have some traumatic incident and tomorrow be his last day. I would rather him be prepared today because he knows he can have a relationship today with God than for him to wait for some event, some sign, some signal that now's the time he needs to stop playing around and get serious about his relationship with Christ. And I th that's, thank you, David, for your comment because it allows us to see that, yes, although God wants us to see very much, if God says it, it happens. And what you're going to see, especially in chapter 12 of Daniel, is details, even the gender of some individuals in the prophecy turn out to be true. So true that there are scholars who don't believe Daniel chapter 12 was written when it was written because it's too accurate. God uses prophecy as a rearview mirror so that as events take place, you can look back and not say, it's my time to get serious, but you can say, God's getting serious. Look what he's doing. He said it would happen, and I get to see with my own eyes right here, this is possibly a fulfillment of that prophecy because it fits. This tells me that God knows beginning, middle, end is in charge of beginning, middle, and end. Right here, purple microphone. Oh, I'm sorry, and then we'll go to the red. My, my comment is, you know, just the times that we're living now, um, just so many ripped relationships yes. and families. Mm. Um, I, I will say that, you know, there's in my own family, I have, you know, uh, brothers and cousins that don't even talk to one another because mm. of their political views. Yeah. You know, friends that don't talk. I mean, you've been friends for many years yeah. and those relationships are gone. Yeah. That I'm asking myself, how can you know, people, someone that I see on a daily basis or someone that I see every so often, how can I have a not have a relationship with them and sit here and say, God, like, help me have a relationship with you when I can't have a relationship with my brother. I think that's kind of what Daniel is saying here as well. It's, you know, sometimes we're so focused in, you know, prophecy but obviously this is an eye-opener. Yeah, yeah, it, it's so true and that's so personal to all of us. I, I dare say there's anybody in this space that has not been affected in the last year, year and a half by exactly what you just talked about, which makes me ask a question. Is the enemy an idiot? No. When an enemy has opportunity to distract us, does he say, I don't know, I don't know if I'll use that or not? No. We're living during an era where living the character of God is revolutionary. It's revolutionary in our communities and it's revolutionary in our own personal relationships. I was just talking to someone today who was having a, a, an issue with a family member and I shared with her uh, a phrase I use way too often with the people I work with now. Um, and the phrase is, if you're comfortable, you're confrontable. 
And what I'm finding is there's fewer people confrontable nowadays than what I am used to in years past. And what I mean by if you're comfortable, you're confrontable, I mean if you're comfortable with the viewpoint that you're espousing, then anyone can confront you and poke at it and say, well, I don't get it, I have a different viewpoint. Well, if you really feel solid internally, consciously and subconsciously with your viewpoint, it doesn't matter what other people say, because you're like, well, I can understand how you'd feel that. I thought the same way, and then I ran across this other information, or I ran across this, and you're very comfortable. So you're confrontable, because you know what you believe and why you believe it. I'm finding less and less people confrontable nowadays, because either on a conscious or subconscious level, we haven't settled into a viewpoint that we feel is 100% defendable. And especially in our bipartisan, you know, very uh, intense time that we live now, there, I'm finding fewer and fewer people confrontable. So what I use that phrase now for is as a thermometer for people in their families who are saying, you know, I tried to bring this up and they're just really upset. They're just like, I don't want to talk, and, and I don't want to talk to you anymore. Um, and so I use this as a gauge now to say, look, if someone's uncomfortable, it means they're unconfrontable. And if they're unconfrontable, it means they're uncomfortable. So find a different topic. The beautiful thing about family and friendships and neighbors and all that, there's more than one topic to talk about. And so there are people who, who come up to, to me, uh, for example, when I was at the general conference session in 2015, on my name badge, I had a little amber sand little pen. And I don't know where you stand, and I, I'm sorry if this is offensive to you, but uh, that little symbol meant I was in favor of allowing women to be pastors and ordained as ministers. And um, a person I hadn't seen in almost 25 years comes up, he and his wife, and I was like, hey, how are you? And the first thing he said, you're for women's ordination? And I said, it's good to see you too. How are you doing? I, and I'm not making this up. And he goes, I just can't believe. Are you seriously for women's ordination? I said, man, how long has it been? Has it been 25 years since we've seen each other? And he kind of looks at me like, did he not? It's, it, we're in an expo hall, so maybe it's loud. So he comes back again. I just can't understand. Don't you believe the Bible? The Bible says you shouldn't ordain women. And I said, man, how are your kids doing now? I haven't, last time I saw your kids, she was so cute. She was in the back seat. And she goes, you know, I've got an idea. And, and, uh, and he goes, what? And I said, yeah, your, your girl said, I've got a good idea. And I said, what's that good idea? And she goes, cookies. Cookies are a good idea. And I started laughing, and he started laughing, and we started talking about something else. I'm not going to confront someone who is obviously going to end up in an argument with me, because my job is not to argue with people. My job is to show the love of God. And if I have to distract them from the things that are distracting them from a relationship with me, I'm going to choose love. And that's what God is calling us to do. I want to go to the red microphone, and then we're going to do a verse, and then I'll come back over here to this microphone. Go ahead. I think it's very interesting where Daniel is talking about all these horrible, horrible visions of people, ultimately, that are going to be leaders of the world, and yet at the end of it, the person that he's most concerned about is this little horn. <laughs> yep. 
And the little horn is, is really what Satan is. Hmm. It's that little horn that we sometimes don't pay attention to. Hmm. Yeah, and one of the things that you see in this verse that concerns him the most, because right on the heels of him getting this really good news, the kingdom of God is forever and ever. Don't worry about it. It's late. It's, it's, this is the future. The future is beautiful. From then on, no more of this mess. But Daniel is so upset, especially about this little horn, this, this last beast, because he wants to know, well, when's that going to come? And this little horn especially troubles him because it speaks so arrogantly and blasphemes God. And it's just so loud and, and so powerful. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who in the right mind would ever do that? So he's deeply troubled by the actions of this horn. Yes. Purple Mike, Sharon. I have read that the Jews considered Christ hated him most of all for saying he was the Son of Man when he referred to himself that way. And I'm, I'm so excited because I realized they remembered Daniel. Yep. It's exactly why they got and upset. And that's how much we mean. Yes. But he came and became part of us. Yes, exactly. Once again, the wheels at work, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Um, but he did reveal himself by calling himself the Son of Man, um, and it was a direct reference to right here in this. Now, I want us to, because we've got to close uh, here, I want us to look at the last couple of verses of chapter 7. Verse 26, by the way, what happens up until this time, Daniel's just really, really concerned with, tell me what this, what this beast is, what it means. You can read it for yourself, but uh, we're not going to emphasize that or spend time here simply because we don't have time. We've got to spend time on the most important thing, which is verse 26 and 27, where this guest says, but the court will sit and his power will be taken away, speaking of the beast, and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms of, under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High God. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and rulers will worship and obey him. A couple of things here you totally miss. A loving God doesn't defeat everyone else and say, now I'm the one in charge. Who does he hand the power over? He does all of the battle, all the fight, defeats this beast that is so terrifying that who in the world could ever defeat that beast? He slays him. And who does he hand the power over to? <laughs> the holy people. Is, is that the most amazing thing? Does that show you the selfless character of God? It's not about him, it's about you. It's about allowing you to experience what it feels like to lead in a kingdom of love. That's the God we serve. It's not a God who says, watch out, these beasts. Do you have the mark of the beast? It's a God who's about the seal of God, who says, do you have a connection with God? Because in the end, it doesn't matter all the scary things that are happening, all the scary kingdoms, all the beastly things that are happening around. The only thing that matters is God wins and he wants to hand the power over to, over to his holy people. Just for a time, and then he takes it back? No. Forever and ever. I think one of the most amazing things in our theology is as we look at the thousand days of being in heaven after the second coming, 
the thousand years. And then he comes back after the thousand years to destroy sin once and for all. Most people don't ask what those thousand years are for. Do you realize it's God allowing you a thousand years to judge him? What type of God hands over the power to his dumb people who can't even agree on earth about what leadership should be, how it should look, who should be served, and who should have to pay for it? And yet he says, I'm going to give you a thousand years to go through every scrap of records to prove, am I fair? Am I love? Am I the type of God that you would want to serve forever and ever? And for a thousand years, he puts you in the seat of power, judging over him. If that's not love, if that's not compassion, if that's not pure selflessness, I don't know what it is. And that's the God that we serve. Well, it's true. That's exactly the God that we serve. And I don't know if you're blown away, but I'm completely blown away by this loving, unselfish character. Who knew, looking at prophecy, that we would see this much evidence that God is amazingly, infinitely loving. And it doesn't stop here because next week we are going into chapter 8. Most people just focus on the ram and the goat, but we're going to see how this once again shows the amazing character of God and how God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to protect you and ultimately he wants to take you home to live with him forever. I can't wait to go through Daniel chapter 8, continuing this section on prophecy with you in episode 66. So, Please come back. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.